So, but within that concept also, you need to realize that a lot of people, enlightened mind like you, who is an African, but you just have a European skin, you know, you know, a lot of... <laughs> yeah, you're so kind. <laughs> you know, so, so a lot of enlightened mind are coming to understand that actually Africa is the cradle of civilization, is the mother continent. Life comes from Africa. We need to do everything in our power to say how do we get Africa, African countries back on their feet. One way we're going to do this is by constant education, enlightenment. Like what you when you're doing that, you're the best promoter of Africa, trying to expose the African values, the African concept. We need to do it more often. The problem is that we'll get to the Western world, we'll get too comfortable with the Western world, and we'll forget where we're coming from. We'll forget what it is. We'll forget what it should be. I think we should leave our comfort zone and start thinking about how should we join hands to, to make sure that our continent you know, grows and be what it should be. I think that's what we need to be. So I'm happy and excited that, you know, you're one of us and you've been, a, you've been one of our best ambassadors. So please continue, you know, yeah. being our ambassador because we love you and we want you to continue. Aloha, my beautiful friends. My name is Krista Ralaksmidetan and coming to you from San Diego, California. Welcome to Abundance in Action podcast. And uh, I call myself New Time Coach. I believe that each one of us, we have a treasure box inside. And once we open it and activate our inner fairy tales, we can start to manifest them into this reality on our terms and in case you would like to know more about the longer introduction to the guest um, of this week please go back to the uh, episode one um, part one with this uh, guest and you can get all the introductions so right this uh, episode will jump in with the topic uh, so there will be no longer introduction here so enjoy and as always uh, please like share and comment so uh, you mentioned a little bit about you know how you were um, chosen to become the leader of your peers and group and I know that you also have talked about responsible leadership and I like the sound of those two words together because uh, so often we see that leaders are leaders but they're actually not responsible leaders so would you elaborate what responsible leadership is for you and how is it you you know express it in your life no thank you very much i've always believed that uh, we're all leaders in our own little way and leadership is about responsibility so when i look at responsible leadership i just i look at it as Being able to meet the yearnings of the people who have placed their trust in you. You know, Ella, you talked about trust. Being able to reciprocate the trust people ask you. You know, you're not a leader on your own. You don't say, I'm a leader on my own. No, you're a leader because there are people who you are leading. And this will have placed their trust in you. They place their confidence in you. They expect that you're able to direct, you're able to lead. And the responsible leadership is about meeting the yearnings of those people who have placed their trust and confidence in you. How do you go about it? 
the first thing I always talk about is that you have you're not in isolation. Nobody's an island. You're working with the people. So responsible leadership means understanding the people, understanding the need of the people, understanding what the people want. Because the people have placed their trust and confidence in you, they expect you to deliver, to help them achieve their yearnings, to help them achieve their aspiration. So responsible leadership is about understanding the yearning, the aspiration of your people and helping them to get there. Remember the word I use, helping them, not doing it. It has to be collaboration. So when you talk about responsible leadership, it's about working with the people, working with your peers, with whatever group you're in, to understand where do we want to go? How do we collectively get to that destination? You know, it's not you getting to the destination. It's okay, you, okay, folks, you come over. I'm there. You know, it's fine. It's beautiful. You know, I'm in heaven. It's lovely. Okay, now you come. You know, Look at how I got to heaven. I did X, Y, Z. So you do it and you get there. No. Responsible leadership means taking them by the hands. We're all doing it together till we get to those places. You know, at times, leadership, people think when you're in leadership, it thinks about you just doing it yourself and then people seeing how you're doing it and they do it. I don't think so. When I look at responsible leadership, I look at it holding people by the hand doing it together. That's for me where the success comes. It's we collectively doing it. Not one person doing it and say, okay, learn from what I'm doing. I don't think so. So when I look at collectively, that means when people place their trust, confidence in you, you must work with them to understand what is it they want? Where do they want to go? How do they want to get there? And helping them for all of you collectively to get there. Not you getting there and asking them to come. Oh, I'm there now. Let's show you how it is, you know? No, that's not leadership. That's not responsible leadership. I tell you, this story about a politician, you know, when he was placed in a, in a place of responsibility, he embezzled the money, you know, to make himself good. And they asked him why. He said, look, I was so poor, I couldn't understand what was going on, so I need to make sure I'm comfortable first. So now I'm no longer poor. I'm rich now. So I cannot see clearly and see the poverty of my people, so I cannot help the people. So, you know, he helped himself first. And elevated his own suffering before he was able to help, you know, want to look how he can solve the, the problem of the people. That's not responsible leadership. Responsible leadership means we do it together, collectively, hand in hand, we, we get to our destination together. Not you getting to the destination first and then coming back to get us. Okay, let me go there. I'm the avatar. I go there and I see how it is. And then I come back to say, let's go. No, let's all go together. Let's work hand in hand. We're experiencing it. We're learning together. Um, we'll get there. For me, that's what responsible leadership is about. Um, I actually have uh, gone really fond about one African proverb, which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it's a so beautiful, like whatever in life as well, I have experienced, it's always been so much richer and so much deeper together with people with you know common goals or common common targets or even common pains you know so you come together and you see like hey we have a problem let's like figure out how we can get out of it and um, I think that collective element is something which Africa is a really good um, 
ambassador for to remind the rest of the world that hey uh, those tribal you know um, practices like coming together having a council or you know coming together by the fire telling stories um, these are like really simple ways to nurture the collective but also to understand like hey where are our pain pain points or where are our wounds and how can we collectively you know take care of it and also heal it and then move from there yeah you know uh, you, you're 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 really right you hit me right uh, you know on the head because when we go together you know we're able to share each other's pain you know we're able to share each other's triumph and that's the joy you know we don't live you know on, on our own no man is an island but when we live together collectively, we share our pains, we share our joy, and then life is a lot, lot, you know, fun. To be quite honest, you know, that's what I think. That's what I love about uh, when I go to the villages in Africa. You know, you see, even within the little you have, people are a little bit happier because people are able to share. You know, you know, the joy is not in the material accumulations we have. The joy is in that sense of solidarity, in that sense of people appreciating. We live for each other. You know, so you know, so what does it profit you if you're so rich and you know, and then your neighbor has nothing? Makes no sense. You're mm-hmm. all together, you know, when you share, when you're happy, you know, everybody's happy. You know, I think that's one of those things, yeah. Yeah, and in um, uh, South Africa, we have the word called Ubuntu, which is, I think, uh, in its essence, very close to Aloha, which is also, you know, understanding exactly that, you know, that we are all the same. Um, I mean, we we are all part of the same whole. And if I take good care of myself and also for my, you know, neighbors or my community, then um, it's it's all going to flourish and blossom. And um, that's what the Ubuntu spirit is. Um, and then each one of us has also individual responsibility to cultivate that uh, on a regular basis. Because if we do that, then you know, it, it will always, you know, be there and we will always be taken care of for. No, no you know, uh, you're, you're right, you know, you know, that we live for each other, you know, then, you know, our life will start getting a lot, lot, uh, you know, you know, better. I'll give you another story. I like telling stories. There was this story about, uh, you know, in the African society, you know, where, you know, in those days, you know, even till now, you know, in some societies, where you don't have undertakers. So if somebody dies, you know, uh, people come together to tell people sorry, and then the binara, everybody come to help to dig the grave and all this stuff. Then there was a man, you know, each time somebody, uh, you know, dies, you know, he's a rich man, he comes, he just sit down, he doesn't help to do anything, he doesn't even join in eating. You know, immediately after the person is buried, he goes. And then everybody was looking at him. Then when his mom died, he killed cows and had a lot of festivities. But immediately they lowered the mom that everybody left. Nobody ate his food. The man was surprised. You know, and then people said, Look, but you don't eat people's food. People, you know, so you don't share people's food. Why do you think people are going to share your food? Because you think you have so much money, so everybody will be rushing down to eat your food. No. But if people come to eat, does not mean they don't have food at their home. But it's part of that community sharing. So if you're not sharing with the community, then when it was his turn, all those food were just left wasted. It was 
practically begging people to come, please come, please come, please come. But it was a good example, you know, in terms of how we live for each other. So the very far that you go to, you know, at times you go, you don't even need to eat, just take a little. It shows that sharing, that community, you know. You might not like your food, just take a little, you know. It shows a partnership, a solidarity. But when you cut yourself off, then when it becomes your turn, you will do the same thing. And then you realize, oh, you know, so life is about we living for each other. When we live for each other, we're happier. And, you know, life is a lot, lot better. Yeah, it's so true. And uh, let's now dive a little more deeper into the topic of Africa. So I I just recently did this uh, uh, nutrition program called WildFit. So it's a 90-day challenge where we go through, you know, different ways of eating and thinking and working holistically with, with like the whole body, mind, spirit um, aspects. And one of the things Eric Edmides, who is um, the lead or the founder of the program, is looking at as a nutritional anthropologist is actually, you know, where food has come from. And many of the foods which our bodies actually feel very great with is actually their ancestry is from Africa. And um, that's like one way to kind of look at it. But um, doing a little more research about you, uh, what uh, came out was uh, someone who's called Byron Wild, who actually had a really cool uh, quote here, which I want to read and then uh, hear your comment about it. So the African continent is often referred to as the cradle of humanity. All human beings carry a genetic uh, tag indicating our ancestors were African, saying that all non-Africans are migrants our ancestors moved out of Africa. So um, it's, it's a, it goes back to a little bit more into evolution and maybe it's not even so important where we are from, but I always thought like, why am I so like, you know, um, fond of Africa and Africans and all of that energy, maybe my soul and spirit has lived there many lifetimes, but also maybe I have that deeper connection with that, you know, ancestor root and and that's also maybe who knows part of my mission to kind of also uplift Africa the way I can so what's your take on that um, I know you have also helped to facilitate um, someone uh, really cool here uh, the speaker Mr. Moraquino who did the class about awake the African spirit and kind of saying that ancient Egypt actually, um, you know, wasn't Greek, as many may think that it's actually, you know, um, true African ancestry. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, thank you very much. I think, uh, you know, it's quite uh, illuminating that people are coming to realize how important Africa is, you know, towards civilization and toward advancement of knowledge. You know, those who, who decide not to appreciate what Africa, you know, has contributed, you know, are those who live in denial. Why do I say so? You know, if you look at, you know, great civilization that we have, Africa is the mother continent. I believe life originated from Africa. But if you, if you look at the whole history of oppression, if you look at the whole history of domination, those who have dominated Africa do not want to recognize the importance 
of Africa. You know, because Africans have not been able to write their history the way it should be written, other people write their history for them. And when other people write their history for them, they write it based on the way, you know, they, they, they conceive and perceive it. I'll give a very funny example. You know, I, my village, my village in Nigeria, it's about uh, less than 10 kilometers to River Niger. Less than 10 kilometers to River Niger. But when I was growing up, when I was growing up, you know, you know in schools, the history book tells me that Mongo Park discovered River Niger. So Mongo Park is a, you know, is a, an Englishman, Scottish, UK Englishman, left England or left Scotland in the UK and came to Nigeria and did what? And discovered River Niger, that my ancestors go to fresh water. You know? So you understand how the history of Africa and Africans are written by European and Western world. And they distort those history for their own selfish gain. When you tell me Landa brothers did what? These are kind of stories, you know, history. I read in school when I was growing up, Landa brothers, Mongo Pat, they discovered Africa, they discovered River Niger. What are you telling me? So this is what, as a young boy growing up, in my six years, seven, eight, nine, ten years, years I was in primary school. Those were my formative years. Those was the history I was taught. How the Westerner left Europe and came to discover Africa. How they came to save us from our call, from our paganism, from our worship of idols, from all kind of evil we are doing. Africa was a dark continent till the Western world came and gave us light. You know, such arrant nonsense. You know, but it, it is a question of power. And because of the power dynamics have not shifted, it continues to today that people, you know, can spill out these stories and justify it. Africa has given quite a lot towards civilization. And if you look at some of the conflict in Africa, look at what's happening in Congo, one of the richest countries in the world, but it's bogged down by endless conflict, fueled by the greed of the Europeans and the Western power that keep mining the resources of Congo, you know, for their selfish aim to prevent the country from moving forward. Of course, we cannot ignore the partnership and the association of our people that partner with the foreign powers. Things fall apart. One of my favorite books, Okonkwa, the tragic hero, said, now our brothers think like them. They have put a knife on the things that held us together. And now we're falling apart. That's Okonkwa, the tragic hero, when he was talking about the life of the Africans the life of the Omofians and the coming of the European, how the European, the Western power has been able to distort the mind of the people that the people could no longer think as one. So the kind of education we have received in Africa has, you know, influenced the way we think. 
because it's like the miseducation. So we now think that we, we are not good enough. We think that what we have is not good enough. We don't understand what we have because of the kind of education we have, which is a product of the colonial legacy. The colonial legacy put this kind of education to subjugate people. But the question is that the colonial masters have left a long time ago. Why are Africans still where they are? So it might be, it might be funny for us to keep blaming the Europeans. For me, we shouldn't. We are our own enemies. We have not been able to do what we need to do. So, but within that concept also, you need to realize that a lot of people, a lightened mind like you, who is an African, but you just have a European skin, you know. You know a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so kind. <laughs> you know, so, so a lot of enlightened mind are coming to understand that actually Africa is the cradle of civilization, is the mother continent. Life comes from Africa. We need to do everything in our power to say, how do we get Africa, African countries back on their feet? One way we're going to do this is by constant education, enlightenment. Like what you will, you're doing that, you're the best promoter of Africa, trying to expose the African values, the African concept. We need to do it more often. The problem is that we'll get to the Western world, we'll get too comfortable with the Western world, and we'll forget where we're coming from. We'll forget what it is. We'll forget what it should be. I think we should leave our comfort zone and start thinking about how should we join hands to make sure that our continent, you know, grows and be what it should be. I think that's what we need to be. So I'm happy and excited that, you know, you're one of us and you've been, a, you've been one of our best ambassadors. So please continue, you know, yeah. being our ambassador because we love you and we want you to continue. Yeah, thank you so much. And it's so true, you know, I remember this one class in uh, Cape Town University where... Um, I think this particular class was about gender and culture uh, differences and so on. And we had an article about uh, gender mutation stuff and, you know, circumcision and all of those things. And the article was written by someone from, you know, the Western world. And then we have it in the classroom. The teacher was actually asking who here in the you know uh, audio, audience um, is actually from this country and can also actually tell us the story how it is right now and what's your take on that you know circumcision uh, and gender uh, stuff going on and then those people stood up and told us that actually that vision or that whatever was written in the article was completely wrong was not like representing what actually was going on. And um, that was the moment which I so remember from that time. In our classroom, we had uh, 15 different nationalities talk about anthropology, right? <laughs> so I remember that moment so well. And I was like, oh my God, like um, it's so important who will get the voice and how it will be you know, represented, how it will be packaged because if that voice is, you know, really supported and put into a loudspeaker, then everyone will like believe that's true, you know, that's how it is. And then how can I be a different representative to Africa or Hawaii or whatever place, you know, 
and bring that other, you know, deeper, more holistic understanding and voice that, you know, hey, uh, when you read something like this, always like figure out where the source is from, who is behind it, and um, is it actually the original, you know, point of view of those people? And um, and it really um, kind of knocked on my consciousness, like, hey, Christo, if you want to be a responsible leader, then this is one of the things you should do and not just, you know, um, drive over people like so many anthropologists have done for years too and really have that responsibility and also respect before you go even in, you know, and also maybe wait for that invitation like, hey, we need help with this here. Uh, we know you have expertise about this. Can you come in and give give us what what what's your advice, you know? you have that and i think we need more people like that in the world no you are you are just you're 100% uh, correct you know we just need to you know understand that very fact that at times those of us in the academia we think uh, we have without biases no we're not without biases we all carry our biases you know you know the very fact that i've been to more than 50 countries shapes the way i see the world so i have my biases the very fact that I'm an African, I have my biases. The very fact that I'm Nigerian, I have my biases. So we have biases. So at times when people write things, you know, people don't seem to understand that those people that wrote these things have their biases, which colors the way. You know, currently in the universities, there's a new movement called decolonization of the curriculum. So what does decolonization of the curriculum means? It means people are starting to question what kind of education are we giving? When you go to the university, the professor decides what you read. He gives you what to read. He gives you article to read. He best, so he, he covers your mind to think the way he wants you to think. So were those articles written, you know, those books, who are the authors? So if a professor is giving you articles and books that are just specific based on the way he thinks or the way he wants you to think, it's not exposing you to a diversity of sources. And you know, because of our nature, you know, young people, you know, when you're in the university, you just want to do the minimal and just move away. You don't want to start going to look at a lot of other sources. So the first say, read three, three uh, uh, texts. At times you struggle to read the three. So if the three gives you, colors your mind. So that's all you need. But this new campaign about decolonization of the curriculum saying, you need to have a diversity of sources. So just like an example you gave, if that's the only author you read about the whole issue of, you know, uh, you know, culture in Africa, and that's, the, you know, let's say it gives you three different articles all talking about the same thing, and there are no people in the class who are able to challenge it, or, it did, or the professor didn't ask you in the class, what do you think about this article? You take it as the gospel truth, and that shapes your thinking. That's how the university shapes people's thinking. People say the ivory tired. Look, I'm there. And I understand how the professor shapes the way student thinks. It's what they gave you to read, how they interpret it. That's the way you see it. So to start changing, you know, our educational system, we're going to continue to have these issues where you have subtle indoctrination, where, where the power is a power dynamics. Structure doesn't change because we are teaching 
what we want people what we want to perpetuate. Till we change that, we're not going to have you know uh, the success, the transformation, the progression we have in society. So I agree with you completely. We need to start thinking about how do we change what we're giving out to young persons. How do we change? what we are giving to society in order to have a more progressive and better society. Yeah, it's so much about uh, what what do you feed them and also do their minds and how you do it. And, uh, you know, honestly, after uh, those five months as an exchange student in Cape Town University, even though it had so many things which were like super ancient and so like behind times compared to Norway, after those five months, you know, being in a classroom with 15 different nationalities, I was so happy and lucky that my you know, degree was done because I couldn't have gone back to Oslo University because I was such a changed woman in like every aspect of my life. You know, I, I understood anthropology so like deeper and it was so amazing that it happened so as you said in the beginning, you know, divine locations and divine timing. I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to meet you uh, and maybe also, you know, supposed to do this podcast now because that was why I went to Cape Town. <laughs> Who knows? You know? yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, every, yeah, everything happens. Like we said earlier, everything happens, you know, divine timing and when it was supposed to happen. It's one yeah. of those uh, rarity. Yeah, and I want to finalize this beautiful um, gathering uh, and meeting with you with one of your teachers who you have actually quoted in one of your beautiful article. And um, I want to just uh, share that as, as the end part of it, because storytelling is such an important part of uh, not only African culture, but I think all the cultures in the world. And I so hope that this uh, podcast is one way to also uh, keep that tradition, uh, you know, active because we we have been sharing many stories with you today. So uh, that is uh, your teacher. Um, I don't know if I say the word and name now right. Achebe, Achebe. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the quote is, it is only the story that can continue beyond the war and the warrior. It is the story that outlives the sound of war drums and the the exploits of brave fighters. It is the story that saves our progeny from blundering like blind beggars into the spikes of the cactus fence. The story is our escort. Without it, we are blind. Does the blind man own his escort? No, neither do we the story. Rather, it is the story that owns us and directs us. Mm. Yeah, thank you. That's, um, I remember I used that quotation in, uh, in a couple of writings I did. You know, you know, stories are very powerful. One of the things about indigenous society is you know, our ability to tell story. We don't own the story. I think within the past uh, couple of minutes, I've told maybe three or four stories. You know, we don't own story. The blind man does not own the guide. You know, the story leads us. And one of the things we need to look about is how do we tell our story? I think part of the things we've talked about today is owning our story by telling our story. It might look a little bit confusing, we don't own our story. The story is our guide. 
but how do we provide the guide? You know, so I give an example of, you know, reading colonial history texts that told me Mongo Park discovered River Niger. That's the story we're told. But I know, you know, living 10 kilometers, less than 10 kilometers from River Niger, that my people who live close to Niger knew the Niger a long time ago, centuries ago. But how do we go about telling our stories? You know, till we discover ourselves, discover the power within us, and then we're able to project it and tell people, this is who we are. And let people accept us for who we are, not accepting us based on the concept they have in their head or how they want us to look like or think like or be like. That's what that's to, that little quotation you're telling about. It's a summary looking at how do we project ourselves? How do we reclaim what is ours? We talked about Africa, the mothers, you know, the mother, Africa, the mother continent, the cradle of society, of civilization. How do we claim back? How do we tell our story so that our story that we don't hover in the dark? Because the problem is that we, indigenous people, we've been hovering in the dark, wandering around, because we believe the story that, that is told about us, the dark continent, the poor continent, the continent that cannot move. Those are their stories. It's not our story. Why should we believe their story? Why can't we tell our story? You know, this is where we need to change. We need to start saying, this is our story. Take it or leave it. But this is our story. Let nobody tell us our story. Only us can tell our story. I love that quotation. It's an awesome quotation. And, you know, I've used it in two of my writing because it's a very, it's a quotation that actually starts to tell us that till we tell our story, we believe our story, we allow our story to guide us, we believe other people's story that puts us down, that refuse to let us progress. So thank you a lot for, you know, that uh, awesome quotation. I think I like that. Yeah, and it's such a nice wrap-up energy as well, but also a good reminder, as you are saying now, you know, every day we are still, you know, creating our stories. So maybe be more conscious and more mindful, um, you know, how how we do it so that, you know, um, all the other people also who are part of our story so that one day we can tell more of those stories to our students or our kids or grandkids or uh, whoever is ready so that we can carry the story and also the cultures and the strength on uh, to the future generations. Well, I think, thank you. I think that's, that's a very perfect summary. You know, we just need to get our story out. If we don't get our story out, somebody else will tell our stories for us. And they won't tell it the way it is. They will tell it the way it suits them. Like everybody have their biases. And when people tell your story, they tell it based on the way they want you to believe. And you know, you gotta tell your story and tell people who you are. You know, that's just yeah. the way it should go. Yeah, like um, know that you have a mic and just uh, have the courage to use it and share it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 
yeah. think that's that's what is that's what it's supposed to be. It's just that at times people don't understand they have the power, they have the voice. You know, yeah. at times people think they're powerless, they think they're voiceless. But once they realize that you know you got a voice, you got a power, you just need to tell your story. Yeah. And you know, just like when a farmer goes out in the field to farm, you know, you're throwing out the seed in the farm, you know, some will germinate, some will not germinate. But if you don't go out in the field to sow, you understand, nothing will come out. So yeah. you need to you need to go out and sow and hope that the ones that fell on the on the fertile land will grow. But if you refuse to go out and sow, you get nothing. Same thing as telling your stories. If you refuse to tell your story, nothing, nobody hears about you. Nobody hears about what you've done. But if you tell your story, you might be lucky. It's projected out. You understand? So that's the way it is. But first of all, is that you need to tell your story. You need to go out in the field. So that's why at times, you know, the farmer wakes up every morning and goes to the farm to, you know, to farm. So why do you go out every morning to farm? Because I need to do it. I don't know what day something was going to happen, but I need to go out in the farm, do the farming. The next day go out to weed. The next day I need to do it. It's just what I need to do. I do my own part, you know, and leave the rest, you know, for the divine. It's just like this. There is a story about a wise man, you know, a... Every, every religious man went to meet a wise man and told the wise man, he said, look, every evening I take my horse, my, my donkey, you know, I put it inside and I, I, I feel a conscience. Why should I lock the door, the gate? I believe God, the divine, we protect the donkey. That anytime I lock the door of the shed where the donkey is, I feel that I'm not trusting God. You know, so he made the wise man ask, what should I do? Should I leave the gate open at night? Because God is going to protect, you know, my donkey. The wise man said, okay, come back tomorrow. Let me give you an answer. The man, the religious man, when left, came back the next day. And then the wise man said, yes, I have thought about it. I have communicated. What you need to do is that every night as you put your donkey, lock the shade, lock the gate. And God will protect the donkey. So the story, you know, the moral of this story is that we need to do our own part and allow God to do his own part. So if we need to tell our stories. And after we tell our story, let's leave what comes out of our story to destiny and the divine and the forces. But our own part is that we've got to tell our story. So beautifully said. So... <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Collins, for your time and all the stories and inspiration you carry. And I feel so blessed that our paths crossed and divine had those forces working and that we have been actually staying in contact over these years. And uh, in the future, one of the things I already have also discussed with you, but we can look it, into it like deeper. I would like to add Estonia as one of the countries and maybe also possible cooperation uh, places for your future peace building projects. So um, let's put that seed down today. <laughs> no worries. We'll see how it's going to work out. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, we also were talking about the little 
gift uh, you will put together for our listeners and viewers? Maybe something about, you know, how to start uh, peace building or something other inspirational. So uh, once this podcast comes out, you can find it in the notes. Um, so you can indulge yourself uh, with a little bit more of Colin's knowledge. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll be happy to do that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, do you have final words for our listeners and viewers? Oh, my final word is that, you know, believe in yourself and uh, also believe in us. We're Africans, you know, we're the mother continent and uh, we're proud of it. Eh? <laughs> and, we, and we believe that uh, we have our place in the universe, you know, and in the scheme of things. But everything happens at its own time. And that time is what we don't have the control over. But all we need to do is continuously do our part. And the same thing applies to everybody. Do your own part. That's all you need to do. Do your own part, just like the farmer goes out in the morning, you know, in the evening you know, to the crops. And at the right time, the crop blossoms. Nobody knows at what time, you know, it comes out. But what everybody knows is that the farmer goes out in the morning, goes out daily to do their own part. So in the scheme of things, in the scheme of the universe, in the scheme of the cosmic, in the scheme of the divine, let each of us, every time we live, do our own part and then leave the other part to take care of itself. But we need to do our own part. Thank you. Um, all of our listeners and viewers, uh, thank you for watching. And as always, please um, give us your like, uh, comment, and also review on our Facebook page or iTunes and the best part of these podcasts are actually that if you feel inspired and motivated, please share in all possible ways uh, in your social media. And if you have comments or questions or other ideas how to support our podcast, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And all the best luck to you, Collins, with all of your projects. And thank you so much for your time and presence. Thank you. So it's a pleasure connecting with you again. It looks like back in those days in Cape Town. It's such a lovely time. And looking at your face and your beautiful smile reminds me about those good days. Thank you for inviting me. And it was quite an honor and a privilege to share this past uh, few minutes together. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.